You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We're going to be getting to the book of Mark back into chapter 10 this week in just a little bit. But uh, just want to touch a little bit on our... Uh, vote and meeting from last week as we as a church, Brandon alluded to it, it's in the bulletin regarding our constitution and the uh, needing a two-thirds to pass uh, for that constitution and it, it didn't. And um, just want to share just a couple thoughts, some direction for us as we just process this as a body of believers, how we look at this. So um, probably not anything earth shattering, but I think essential to how we move on as a church. One thought is that God answered. God answered prayer towards that vote. Uh, we know from Proverbs 16.33, probably many of you know this proverb, says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So we say, Lord, you reign, you answer. We trust you with this. New constitution or not, we trust God is at work. And so the answer, again, for us as elders wasn't two-thirds. It's a no or maybe a no, not this time. But we trust that God is at work. Another thought is on the supremacy of the Scriptures we have before us. We taught some 11 weeks on the Constitution. Uh, Before I came, there was work on it, six-plus years, something like that. And the question can be, was that a waste? Is that a waste of time if we didn't pass it, if it didn't go through? The answer to that is no. I don't think so. This time, we don't have the new constitution. We don't have the formal membership that it talked about or or the descriptions of elders and deacons and so forth, how to deal with conflict, other things in there. But again, I think the study of those things from the Scriptures is never a waste of time because it's from God's Word as we look at that. Uh, It just didn't come through in the way that we thought it would. Really, the reminder for each one of us as elders, all of us here, we're bound to the authoritative, as Mike talked about, the the Word of God that is before us. I believe the Constitution was put together in a way uh, to lay out the teaching of Scripture regarding the church in kind of an organized way. But I'm stating the obvious here, the teaching of Scripture... What it has to say, that's not up for the vote, right? We're not voting on whether this is our authority. It's the way, it's the Constitution, what we had there. So your elders and really all who call on Christ as Lord and Savior, we are bound to His Word. And hopefully if this study and this work has given us a clear picture of expectations of Scripture, then it's not wasted time. The elders, we're going to take time to evaluate. Again, seek the Word for the way forward. So what now? That might be the question of the week. What, where do we go? What's, what's now? And again, three, three thoughts on this. Kind of general, but super important. First one is we preach the Word. We hold on to the Word that brings us to Christ. We set our gaze on the One whom Scripture speaks of, on Jesus. So what? Yes, last week's message was all about who are the disciples, who are the Pharisees. No, it's who is Jesus, the king, the reigning king. And the scriptures lead us to him. 
So we're to look to Him, to love Him, share Jesus. That we would, each one of us, be more and more people of the Word. That we're just we're devouring it. Where is this? Studying this, looking for our own lives, studying these things. Number two, we pray. If you've asked this question in the last week, where now? Let me encourage you in the strongest way possible, each one of us, to be in prayer, to pray and to depend. That's where this leads us is greater dependence on God. Wonderful. In Acts 2.42, the early church devoted themselves to prayer. That was one of the things they devoted themselves. They prayed for boldness to speak the word. Uh, And the place where they were, where they prayed for that, it was shaken and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, They pray in the book of Acts to pick seven men to help the twelve who needed to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. When Peter is arrested and he's released by the angel of the Lord, he comes to a house where they were praying for him and so on. And right now in our church, we don't at this point... Though it's not, it's they're all options. We don't have a men's group going on. We don't have women's groups right now, though those aren't done by any means. But what do we have going on? We have a Wednesday night prayer meeting going on at six o'clock. And if you've asked that question, what now? Where do we go? Let me just encourage you. Let's fill this place and pray and seek the Lord. Just encourage what Carol said to come. And join us here. And I understand some schedules don't work. But it's just another encouragement. I can't think of any better place than to, than to start on our knees. Maybe even literally on our knees. And asking God, guide us. We want to be people of your word. We want your direction for us. We want to be a light. Help us. So join us for that. Lastly, number three, I would just say. Uh, so we preach the word, we pray, is we would invite you to speak. Uh, as your elders, as we consider the future and where we go, those that are willing, if you voted no or maybe not at this time in the Constitution, would you be willing? I know we talked about a box in the back, but just come up to an elder. You're not bound to that. That's why we had the secret ballot. But come and say, here's why. Just so you know, I want you to know. Otherwise, as elders... And again, we want to prayerfully seek under the word of God where we go. Otherwise, we're just kind of guessing. Well, maybe it was this part or maybe it was that. We're just kind of we're trying to guess. That's you. And you be so bold. Grab an elder. Say, just so you know, here's why I want you to know. And that would be helpful to us. And we'd welcome that. Above all, we trust the Lord's guiding hand in all things. And we trust his great word. and We trust his great savior. So with that, let's turn back to his word, to Mark chapter 10. We're in Mark 10. We're going to be in this spot for two weeks. But Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Mark 10, 1 through 12. Let's read here from God's word before us. And look through it. It says here, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, 
He taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You join me in prayer again. Lord, we look to you in all things, in times like this week or times where there's uncertainty, times where in perhaps so many other things going on in the lives of your people, there are valleys and... You shine so bright in the valley because of your word and your greatness. So we thank you for that, Lord. We do pray you would lead us as a church on the way forward that best does what we just sang about, that we would glorify your name in all the earth. So help us, Lord, in that. And Lord, guide us now as we look into this text, this particular text, They would speak to our hearts, whether we're married or not today, or whether we've faced the pain of divorce in the past. May you speak to us by your spirit and lead us along. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Right off the bat with what we're covering here, I realize in the next two weeks, this is a personal subject for many. It's a subject that's not easy. Perhaps the implications are hard. We're talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage. But is not the hard thing what Jesus has been already asking us to do, his disciples, in this book of Mark? If you remember back, the road of being a disciple is not an easy road. For sure, it's the best road, but it's not easy. So we're going to seek to understand this passage, look this week at the Pharisees' view towards divorce and subsequent remarriage, and then Jesus' view, and then next week really more towards this beginning creation ordinance of the the one flesh of the male and female and what God has joined together. It's kind of some direction. So this week a little more focused on Moses and creation and divorce and remarriage. Next week a little more towards just the oneness of marriage. If that's where the Lord leads, I think He will, so... We'll trust him for that. The setting here is in verse 1. He left there, went to the region of Judea. Uh, looking back, last week in our sermon, we, we took a big chunk of Scripture, but we left off at chapter 9, verse 30. We left off at this, this second prediction of Jesus, of his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And from there, if you remember some of the sermons past, you may or may not. That's okay. It doesn't offend me. Sometimes I, what did I preach on last, right? So we forget, we're forgetful. But we looked at some of these passages through here and just kind of with some similar language, uh, verses 33 through 
37, we kind of we looked at the idea of gospel-driven servanthood, that as Jesus suffers, dies, is raised to life, we're to serve as well. What is, how does the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection, affect our serving? Well, because He served. The next verses, we looked at 38 through 41 there in chapter 9. Talked about gospel-driven unity, that we serve together, that no one doing a work in the name of Jesus was against Him. However different that work looked like. If it was done in the name of Jesus. We talked about gospel-driven unity there. And then verses 42 through 50. Really that of the gospel driving us to holiness. That for the sake of the kingdom, we'd be willing to cut off. Okay, Maybe not the hand, but almost literally sin in our lives for the sake of the kingdom. And so now we come to chapter 10 in this topic of marriage and divorce. And I think it's good for us to hear the predictions of Jesus and his suffering, death, resurrection in our ears as we approach this. I don't think this is just a a random uh, Mark's going, you know, I'm going to write this. And then, oh, yeah, there's that part about divorce. I got, you know, a remarriage or marriage. I got to put that in there. Let's just put it. I think there's a there's a greater plan here. Really, because of the cross, how do we live? And so this touches on one of the most personal parts of us, our marriage. How do we live together? How do we live in oneness? And so here in verse 1, physically, it's pointing out by Mark here that we find Jesus teaching in the area of Judea, but beyond the Jordan. I picture that kind of, if you know the setting in uh, the Sea of Galilee where we've been for a large portion of this book, you've got the, the River Jordan coming down. I think we're somewhere down south. We're Jerusalem's over here. I'm drawing a map. Can you see it right here? It's all there. Okay. Uh, Galilee up here, River Jordan, Dead Sea down here, and we're somewhere maybe in here is where it, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. It's more the substance of what's being taught, but it gives us an idea. And really, as we look in chapter 10 to verse 32, we know where they are heading. So we're kind of coming out of Galilee. At least Mark has us there. We're we're in this uh, area beyond the Jordan, heading towards Jerusalem, towards suffering, towards death towards resurrection. That's where this is all going to. Verse 2 introduces the conflict. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Here's the opposition. Remember, we looked at all their places, the Pharisees. They come to test. Is it lawful? Just a note here, and I think we're all, we're following along. This is not a legitimate uh, we really want to know. We, Jesus, please teach us. We're really ignorant of these things. This is not that type of moment for these Pharisees. It's testing. Let's get him to slip up. Let's find some fault in him in order to, remember their desire to destroy him. The Pharisees knew what they were looking for, and it was not a legitimate biblical answer. Now here we need to speak, as they ask this question, and this might feel kind of jumbled around here, but we need to speak of some schools, one or some leaders, one by the name of uh, Shammai, if I'm pronouncing it right, and the other of Hillel. These were two teachers, two rabbis of the time who presided over the two most important rabbinic schools of the time. So there's some of these schools of which I believe the Pharisees would have come out of. These schools of thought, this teaching for the people. Uh, Don't quote me on the Pharisees. I'm not sure if they came out from these places. 
But they were the teachings of the day. Shammai, I'll put in this hand, being the more conservative, if you will. Hillel, maybe the more uh, liberal way in terms of how do we interpret the law of God, the law of Moses and what he wrote. Shammai maybe have one interpretation, Hillel a different way. How do we look at that? Uh, Shammai said, according to divorce, it was okay only if the man found unchastity or unfaithfulness in his wife. Find unfaithfulness, divorce is allowed. Hillel, on the other matter, on the other hand, uh, pretty much anything. One of them was uh, if she spoils the food, you know, if your wife makes a bad dinner, that's grounds for divorce. That's fine. I mean, it's just like anything in there. Somehow they took it that way. So that gives you an idea of these two different schools. And so the Pharisees approached Jesus. And the question is, how is Jesus going to answer this test? Perhaps he would side with the school of Shammai and maybe bring disagreement from those of Hillel or vice versa and so forth. Here's what one commentator says. Kent Hughes, he says, they, the Pharisees, were obviously trying to draw Jesus into the long-standing debate. Hey, there was debate of the schools, this debate, and then exploit his response to their own ends. Some even think they were hoping to use Jesus' answer to get him in trouble with the house of Herod. Because a negative answer would publicly announce Jesus' alignment with the point of view that brought about John the Baptist's beheading. Do you remember that a couple chapters back? John the Baptist, for going to say, Herod, this marriage, this is not right, got the head came off. Maybe that's their hope. If we get him to answer this right way in enough anger or whatever, maybe that'll happen and we'll destroy him. Maybe that was their aim. To anyone but Jesus, perhaps the odds of winning this long-standing debate, what's okay? What's grounds for divorce? Maybe this looked like low odds of winning this debate. Or once this can of worms is opened, how would it be dealt with? But this is no problem for King Jesus, right? We've seen this. I think by the time we get here, we go, we should. Maybe we don't. We should say, he's got this. This is no big deal. He's the authority. He, he wrote Deuteronomy, so we're okay. It's going to be okay. So look at verses 3 through 5. How Jesus replies back to them with a question. He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Again, Jesus knows this scripture, knows these scriptures better than anyone. He wrote it. He's going to masterfully bring this whole section back to the heart of the matter. I want you to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, You can keep your tab in Mark 10. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. Deuteronomy 24 It's where we're going to look. Uh, It's verses 1 through 4. Find Deuteronomy. Chapter 24. This is the passage that's really at the center of the debate. Divorce is mentioned elsewhere, but this is really where this is coming from. And so it's good for us to look at where is this debate about Can a man divorce for any reason? This sort of thing. Let me read to you uh, one through four here. When a man, 
Deuteronomy 24, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. And again, like I said, though the topic of divorce, it's mentioned elsewhere. This is really the context of the Pharisees question for Jesus. But it's hardly clear in terms of a command to divorce. The focus here, it's more on the multiple husbands taking this woman. Some point out that this was really more protection for the woman and the dowry or might say bride price that she brought to the marriage. So. Help us understand that the first husband could not marry this bride. And if I understand it, kind of, uh, the bride would bring the, the dowry with her to this marriage, this, this kind of bride price. Well, if he divorces his wife for any reason, perhaps it is he keeps this money and she gets the certificate of divorce and goes to be another man's wife. Well, this was keeping him from divorcing his wife. She would get married again and divorced and then him having this wife come back to the original husband and guess what? Get more money, possibly. That's maybe one of the things that this was preventing, that God was preventing here. The SV Study Bible says this, this law protects the woman from exploitation by her first husband. Whatever the case there is here, it's, it's less command, but rather you hear these words, if she finds no favor... Uh, if she goes and becomes another man's wife. So it's not a, it's not a command. Here's what you must do. It's, it's saying if, if such and so happens and you do this, then it would seem like she's, the, the desire is to protect the, the wife involved, the woman involved from this exploitation. You see in the first verse there of Deuteronomy 24.1, no, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And here's the debate of our two schools, as we mentioned. Verse 1 alludes to this. The husband finds some indecency. Was it indecent just to make a bad meal? Or was it really unfaithfulness uh, to that covenant? Or, Or any such host of issues? Well, Jesus, as He does, takes us back to a, a, a view that goes beyond where Deuteronomy 24 is at. Verse 5, he gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to divorce. And he says, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Any such command or allowance was not based on God's original decree, but on the hard-heartedness of man. I think that's one of the keys to understanding this passage and what's going on here. And so Jesus takes them back in Mark, takes the Pharisees, takes them back really 
further back into creation. So if we're at Deuteronomy, we're traveling back to Genesis and the very beginning of creation. In essence, I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you guys are looking in the wrong place. You're on 24. You're trying to figure out indecency. You're in the wrong area. It's actually further back from there is where you need to be looking. Uh, So let me read from Jesus' words back in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8 here. Here's his words, this going back to Genesis. It says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Go back now to the beginning of your scriptures. Just you can head to Genesis chapter two. We want to see this here, just if even briefly this week. Genesis chapter two. We're going to end up at two twenty four here. There's a couple places where Jesus is quoting from here. He's quoting from Genesis one twenty seven, where it talks about God making them male and female. He created them. So there's that discussion. God's original creation. And then there's Genesis 2.24. Let me start at verse 20 and read to verse 25. This is of Genesis now, chapter 2. Jesus is skillfully taking it back to what, what did God desire in the beginning? Uh, verse 20, the man, okay, here's Adam. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep excuse me, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Next week, hopefully, we'll look at this passage a little more. But this passage forms the basis for what Jesus is bringing attention to of the Pharisees. And he concludes in verse 9 of Mark 10, He says, makes this conclusion, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. The union of man and wife was a union of oneness in creation. It was not it was a non separating union. It was a covenant, a promise, a togetherness. Jesus, again, as we've said, he's bringing this whole discussion on divorce back to the beginning of creation. But let me ask you something, those that you know Scripture. What happened between Genesis 2, and you don't have to say it out loud, but between, think on this, between Genesis 2 and Deuteronomy 24, do you, you remember what happened? There's chapter 3 of Genesis right in there. Chapter 3. The, the fall of man, the sin of of man. Man falls into sin. Does not bring glory to God, but glory to the flesh. Takes the forbidden fruit, eats it, and goes against God and disobeys and incurs death, spiritual death, 
eventually physical death. And it happens right after the section in Genesis 2 that we read on marriage. Sin has so infected our lives that the beautiful ordinance and God joining of the two into one has been marred by hearts in conflict. So you get to Deuteronomy 24, and it's already, it's, that curse has taken its effect on just this very creation of God for the oneness. And it's affected us, and it's still affecting us today. And really in all our relationships. That's where this comes under an umbrella of many relationships. The effects of sin. And so marriage struggles. Jesus is talking about divorce, life conflicts in general. They're not a society problem. It's not a command problem. It's not figure out how Deuteronomy 24, how it's worded and all these sorts of things. Jesus says, no, it's because the hardness of your heart. It's a heart problem. You don't need to turn there, but Ephesians 4 talks about this hard hardness. Here's what Paul says about hard hearts. He says to the Ephesians, you, those in Ephesus, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We live in a fallen world of hardened, cold, and sinful hearts. And I take Jesus to be saying to the Pharisees here, your problem, your desire for divorce, it's beyond how one spoils a meal or ruins a meal. Or even if one is unfaithful, the problem at the core, it's hard hardness. It's, it's a sin issue. It's a heart issue. In essence, he's saying this is not the problem of interpretation or scriptural knowledge. It's a sin problem. Jesus, as Jesus, as the kingdom of God enters his creation, he calls for hearts to be made new. And in his power and strength, man and wife not separate, but be one. Jesus frees our enslaved nature to sin and releases us to follow him. Specifically here in marriage as it intended to be. Let me finish our section in Mark by reading the last, I guess it's three verses, starting in verse 10, back in Mark. Chapter 10, verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Even just reading those lines, we might react, wow, Jesus, any divorce? Adultery? In a parallel passage in Matthew, it's chapter 19, he records the disciples, they react to this. They say, if this is such, uh, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They're hearing this weight of marriage and, and the weight of divorce in that. At least here, those disciples, they understood how hard marriage would be. It was not just easy divorce, easy put away. We might ask here, well, are there exceptions to this? This is some of the debate. And again, we're not going to take a lot of time, but, but it's worth diving into. Is Jesus absolute here? Is divorce always wrong? Is it always adulterous, always sinful? There's a host of views on this. There's books you can get on this and look at it. 
one view is the permanence view. It's called permanence. That, that no, there's no, there's no out. You, once divorced, it's, remarriage is not an option. That's, that's one view. Kind of maybe the most literal reading of what Jesus says. That oneness, that joining together um, of God, it's permanent. I'll just share personally, I, I lean. I'm not in this camp, but I, I lean there in my counsel. Oh, the covenant of marriage. Oh, we're to seek reconciliation if it can be found. To seek that first. That divorce is just, it, it's a last option perhaps in some of these exceptional cases. And we'll look at that just briefly. But that's, that's where I lean. I'm not saying I'm all there because I think Jesus and Paul are not there as well. Uh, Jesus himself and Paul, they seem to expound to say, yes, a wife is, is bound to her husband. There's strong language towards that. But in the case of sexual immorality, that's Jesus and Matthew, case of sexual immorality, divorce uh, is, is not adultery in that case. It says except. That's where we get this exception language. Except in the case of sexual immorality. So that's Matthew. You can look, I think it's Matthew 5 and Matthew 19. There's some areas there. Paul adds in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's talking about marriage and, and there's a long section there. The, the unbeliever, what if you marry an unbeliever? He's talking about all these people and they're probably in different situations. Now, one has come to Christ. The other spouse does not know the Lord. What do you do in that case? In that case, he says, let them depart. Oh, oh believer, if the unbeliever does not want to stay with you, he says in Take some work to understand. They're made holy. Your children are made holy through this. I think they're influenced by the believer. But if the unbeliever desires to leave, that, that's okay. You're, you're not, he says you're not enslaved anymore in that. And so I would con- conclude if you're not enslaved, it's okay. you're free to remarry again. So those are the two maybe exceptions. Beyond that, we're really we're not no spoiled meals, no none of those sorts of things. Do we see as reason? For divorce. I would imagine those who have experienced divorce in their lives, you can testify to the effects of sin, hard hearts that affect the oneness in that marriage or that did affect it. And though much blame could be passed to the other spouse and them, my hope is that you too can see see the sin of the past and, and deal with it not as guilt, let that guilt take you maybe from the past to say, I don't know if I got divorced for the right reason. I think it was maybe it was selfish on my part or maybe the other person did. And that's in the past or you're remarried again or wherever you're at is to deal with that. And say, what's what's what was the sin in me and deal with take it to the cross and deal with that. But Paul would say, uh, remain now. Where are you at now? Are you married now? Don't divorce to go back and. Try to make it right that way. He would say, remain in the condition God has called you. Has he called you in this condition? Maybe with an unbeliever. or Maybe believer and believer. You're married, but there's divorce in the past. Remain here. Make this marriage strong. Confess what we need to of the past. Take it to the cross. But be strong now. Much could be said of this. This is just a portion of it. There's resources can help you if you're interested or you want to know more of the passages perhaps i can help you talk to me uh we're just kind of skimming it here in this passage 
But I want to now turn to those that are currently married. You are married. And for those unmarried, you are in relationships. Just, I'll just trust you. Just apply this in a way that you can to those other relationships because I think it, it can apply. What's your attitude to divorce? What is your attitude of divorce in your current marriage, those that are currently married? The, that is, the vows you have made, the covenant to one another is a holy ordinance from God. God's original intention, and though it's marred by sin, is that we seek by His grace to be one. Seek by His grace to be one with your wife or your husband. Till death, those vows, in sickness, in health, when they please you and when they don't please you and when that meal isn't quite right, or He just keeps doing that thing again and again. It's that there's a oneness. That, that in your marriage now, you say divorce is not an option for us. We are in this for life. And I would just encourage you to take one step further and not even make it a joke. It's not even, oh, you messed that up. I might divorce you for that. We just, we've made it a policy in our house. And I just encourage you, we just don't joke about it. I think even the joke just makes light of it. We take it seriously and say, no, we're in this for the long haul. For those perhaps in a marriage or contemplating divorce, or remarriage, let me just encourage you to seek the Lord and His Word in this. Uh, don't base your next steps on how you feel or what just a friend says. A friend said that would probably be a good idea to get a divorce or a remarriage, whatever it is. Or even what the laws of the state of Minnesota have in place. Let's base it first on God's Word. What, that what God has joined together, let not man separate. Here's some encouraging things, though. Even Jesus, even our Savior, was born in the midst of what? A divorce controversy. Remember Mary? Joseph, an upright man, was going to divorce her until he learned that what was in her was of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, go forward with it. Keep going. I think it's fitting in our passage today, again, as I alluded to, this section is not a random placement by Mark, but it's within the context of Jesus his prediction of heading to suffering and death and his resurrection. Jesus came to make right what the sin of man made wrong. Jesus came to restore what sin had broken. Without the work of Jesus, we are all left in our own hard-heartedness. But in Christ, we're a new creation. And that's where the gospel begins to influence even our relationship to marriage. I want to close with a story of one couple from our upcoming marriage weekend. You're going to see them again if you're coming. And if you're not, I encourage you. You might think, oh, we're not dealing with divorce today. We don't need that. Oh, come and be part of that, if at all means you can. But I want to show you this video of this couple and their testimony. They were on the brink of divorce. And I want you to hear, be listening for how God intervened. I want you to listen for Jesus in this story. Listen for heart change here. Listen for the hope of what they bring. It's about five minutes long. I encourage you, hear this in light of Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection and what He can bring to a marriage. Go ahead, guys, and play that. What causes quarrels? 
What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James 4, 1-2a There were very few people who knew what really went on inside of our home. Whenever we got in our discussions, I, I felt like I couldn't control the emotion that was going on inside of me. I was a button pusher, and I knew what buttons to push. My anger would just flare out of control, and it would turn into an, an explosion. From friendly to horrible in a matter of seconds. I think he felt like things were swirling. I could out-talk him. I could, I could take the entire situation, no matter what I had done in it, it could be about Hans. It could be his fault. We were in an argument, and I grabbed her as hard as I could, and I threw her down on the bed. I had this little bit of justification that because I didn't actually physically lay a fist on her and um, blacken a part of her body, that it really wasn't as bad as what she was saying it was. I was really afraid at that point because we were married and we had a baby and things were not getting better. So while he was gone for a week, I had become very involved in an affair. I pulled up in the driveway and uh, Star met me um, there with her bags packed with our then two-year-old daughter, Kylie. And um, we went through the exchange of, what are you doing? And she says, I'm leaving. I'm like, why? And she's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> why? I expected my parents to just receive me with, you know, loving arms. And when I got to, uh, to their house and explained to them what was going on, they said, if you're gonna live in our house, um, you need to go to marriage counseling. I started out that counseling session um, ranting and raving about how Star was doing this wrong and doing that wrong. I started throwing God's word in there and that, you know, she's not doing this, she's not respecting me. I mean, the Bible says that I deserve to be respected right? He took a long pause and he started to read Philippians 2 to me. Jesus came to this earth and deserved everything. He deserved for people to bow down at his feet. He deserved for all the riches in the world. And he had a biblical right to all those things. And yet he chose to take the nature of a servant and he chose to surrender those rights to God the Father. And as I looked at my life and I looked at Jesus' life and I saw the the, the huge gap in between the two, um, the lights came on for me. I had accepted Jesus for my forgiveness of my past sins so that I could spend eternity with him forever, but I was missing the gospel of the now, and I was missing the gospel and its effect and its impact on me today. And from that point on, my anger was um, in a totally different perspective. He was changing. And I didn't like that because everyone either knew or suspected that they knew what I was doing and he was becoming this great guy and no one really knew the ins and outs of why I left. We would fight and I would push all the same buttons and he did not respond the way that I was used to him responding. I mean, you have to understand, my life was radically transformed. I remember being very drawn to the man that he was becoming, but now the relationship was dead. I decided I was going to go to counseling. 
two to three sessions and then be done. That way I can say that I tried and it just didn't work. And so I was going to pursue a divorce. I vented everything to him about why there was just no way that we were going to make it. And he just listened. And then he looked at me in the eye very intently and said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? And I said, yes, I believe that. He said, you think that God can take a dead man and raise him to life to save you, but you don't think he can heal your marriage. And so I turned to God this much. It takes uh, 100% dependency on Christ in, in the moment, in the now. And it looks like constant confession and repentance for me. A light that had been shut off came on, and I wondered, what if God could do it? It's the gospel. Did you hear that? The changed Hans, gospel, changed star. If our marriages are to succeed and reflect the glory of God, we need a radical new creation in the heart. We need God's help to go back to what He originally designed in the beginning and to live that out. And that comes through Jesus. His death for ours, His life for ours, that we live in such a way that and then shows that Christ-like deserving much and yet suffering and dying for them, that we would be that way with our spouses and any relationship for that matter. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the testimony of lives changed by Jesus. Thank you for the reminder that <laughs> if you can raise your son from the dead and give new life to men, it's possible, Lord, that you can bring to life a struggling marriage or pain of the past, you can heal and forgive and you can lead us onward. I pray you would do that in each of our marriages, that this place, this, the marriages of Bethany would be strong, not because we adhere, but we follow, we follow a powerful Savior, God, who works within us in our marriages to uh, unselfishly and unconditionally love our spouses. And Lord, I pray for our relationships in general, Lord, that we would serve in a Christ-like, sacrificial manner. We're not desiring our own above others. So Lord, we need your help in this. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.